Good morning, everyone. When I was in middle school, one of the big TV shows was the original Star Trek with William Shatner as Captain Kirk and Leonard Niboy as Mr. Spock. It kind of struck a national nerve about space exploration because the possibility of someone actually landing on the moon was almost a reality through NASA's Apollo program. So Star Trek kind of rode that wave of fascination. and Every kid I knew could recite the voiceover that introed each episode. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise, its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Wow, that just sounded so cool. To boldly go where no one else had ever been, to explore off the map, to confidently step out into the vast uncharted expanse of space. I mean, that's just the very definition of adventure. That challenge kind of captured the imagination of my generation and dared us to explore the limits of what was possible. To boldly go where no one has gone before. I mean, does that kind of stir your blood a bit? Does that uh, make you sit up a little straighter? Does it stimulate your sense of curiosity? Honestly, I'm not so sure anymore. Stepping into the unknown doesn't carry the same kind of positive vibe for me now as it did when I was in middle school. This past year, we have all been forced to step into the unknown because of the COVID crisis. And I can't say it's been a fun adventure. No one could foresee what was coming. No one could anticipate what lay ahead. No one was prepared for all the you know, unintended consequences wrought by the pandemic. In the unknown, we got blindsided by the terrible strain on businesses, the complete mashup of our schools, the increased pressure on marriages and disrupted family gatherings. I mean, the loss of loved ones, the financial hardship, the isolation, the sense of constant uncertainty. Far from being you know, an exciting adventure, the last nine months have been a season of high anxiety and stress fueled by fear, fueled by the racial unrest in our cities, fueled by a very contentious election. And then adding insult to injury, the inconsistent response to the COVID crisis by our local, state, and national leaders. It kind of leaves us all scratching our heads, wondering what is going to happen next. And personally, I'm just sick of hearing the word unprecedented. We all know this is unprecedented. We don't need to be reminded of it. We haven't walked this path before. We are in uncharted territory, and it's not much fun. And where we are going, no one else has gone before, but we're not going there very boldly. We are being dragged along one day at a time, doing the best uh, that we can, adapting as best as we can, hoping for normality to somehow magically return and take us back to where we were last February, hoping there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Well, our preaching theme for this Advent season is Stepping into the Unknown. Because that phrase not only describes how faith is at work in our current circumstances, but also because that faith so aptly describes what happened in the lives of all the people who gathered around the cradle of the Christ child that first Christmas. Joseph, Mary, the shepherds, the magi, they all responded to God's call to venture out, to step, to move into an unknown future. None of them knew exactly what they were doing or, or what the consequences were, would be. All they knew was that God was in charge, they knew that God was calling them to go forward, and it was their privilege to follow his lead and take that next step of faith, even though it meant 
stepping into an unknown future. So this morning, let's start with Joseph and see how, he, how God challenged him to step into the unknown. His story is told for us in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Matthew writes this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Amen. Thanks be to God for this is his holy word. Well, Joseph stood at a crossroad. He faced what you might call a defining moment, a moment that would affect the course of the rest of his life. What am I going to do about Mary? That's the question that plagued him. Joseph had a pregnant fiance, and he knew the baby wasn't his. So he was at a fork in the road. Once he chose a path, there would be no going back. It was the kind of decision that just kind of cut him down to the bone, opened it up to take a deep look inside his own soul, to look at himself, his true self, and answer the question, what kind of man am I? What kind of life am I going to lead? Am I going to run from problems or will I face them squarely? Am I going to follow through on my commitments or take the easy way out? What am I going to do? Have you ever faced a decision like that? I mean, a real fork in the road. Men and women both face these kinds of defining moments, but men, I really want you to listen this morning because this is a man's story. And stereotypically, men have a harder time making commitments, sticking with commitments, especially in relationships. The ability to make and keep commitments often defines a man's life. Have you ever had a defining moment where you had to decide what kind of man you were going to meet? I mean, most of us don't like to make this kind of life-altering decision. Now, we like to keep our options open. We don't like to commit to anything, you know, too soon. We like to see how things are going to play out and before deciding, you know, maybe which side we're on. And then we hope that there's a loophole. You know, there's an excuse, there's an escape clause, a rationalization in our hip pocket just in case we need it. Folks, we're all infected with the way of the world. And the world's way is always to follow the path of least resistance. Whatever seems easiest in the moment, whatever seems to cause the least pain, the least inconvenience at the time, our sinful hearts just tend to gravitate in that direction. The scripture says that that was Joseph's kind of first impulse to cut his losses, to divorce Mary quietly and then wash his hands of the whole situation. But he didn't act on his first impulse. That's important to see. Verse 20 says he considered all this. The Greek word there means deep reflection. 
deep reflection. He doesn't just react. He takes time to think it through. That's so important when making these life-altering decisions. Whatever he was going to do, it wouldn't just be a knee-jerk reaction. Well, what do you think went through his mind? Well, for Joseph, I mean, the clock was ticking. Mary would not be able to keep her pregnancy secret for very long. I mean, what would he do? The scripture doesn't give us any information about the conversation that took, pl be took place between Mary and Joseph when she told him she was pregnant. But it's easy to imagine that it did not go well. I mean, the shock, his mind kind of reeling at the news. Joseph, you know, trying to keep his anger in check, trying to hear what she was saying when he knew he was not the father. Right away, he faced the stress of a shattered dream. The life that he thought he was going to have with Mary, I mean, just crumbled before his eyes. I'm sure that up to that point, he was filled with all the excitement of a young man waiting for his wedding day. Mary was a beautiful young woman with a deep faith in God. He was probably head over heels at the prospect of marrying her. What a lucky guy. I mean, everybody said so. Joseph was looking forward to, to a simple life with this woman of his dreams. And he had probably a predictable future. He wasn't a landowner, a rabbi, a soldier. He was just an ordinary Joe a carpenter by trade, a construction worker. He wasn't ever going to be rich, but through hard work, he'd have a stable income and be able to support his family. All he wanted was to get married, settle down, raise a family with Mary. But she comes to him with the news. Pregnant. God made you pregnant, and you expect me to believe that story? I'll give you points for originality, but I am nobody's fool. As a man... You have to imagine his anger, his sense of betrayal, his, his wounded male pride, his dream of life with Mary suddenly shattered, just kind of dissolved to dust. He could feel his future just kind of slipping through his fingers like a handful of desert sand. And then there's the stress from his family and friends. The Jewish custom was that the marriage was a two-step process. First, the engagement, which was very official, the betrothal, and then the wedding or marriage. But breaking the engagement was no simple thing. Breaking an engagement also required a legal divorce. So if they split up, it would become a very public scandal. What will my parents think? How am I going to explain this to my brothers, my sisters, my cousins? What will, my what will I tell my friends? Everyone is going to know. Everyone is going to have an opinion. You can hear his guy friend saying, Walk away, Joe. There are other fish in the sea. Dump her after what she did to you. You deserve better. That's always the world's advice on relationship. If the going gets tough, bail out. Push the eject button. Give up. Follow your impulses. Whatever's going to make you happy. Because your happiness is all that really matters. Well, here's a little uh, mini marriage seminar. There are four things, four big A's, that destroy trust in a marriage relationship. Abuse, adultery, addiction, and abandonment. Those are the four most common things that break the covenant of marriage. Abuse, adultery, addiction, and abandonment. But most of the time, those four big A's are preceded by three smaller ones. Anger, avoidance, and apathy. Anger, avoidance, and apathy. Anger builds up over unresolved issues. Not properly dealt with, the couple starts to avoid the sore spots, and with time, Avoidance turns to apathy. They, they stop trying to fix it. 
And that's when the eye starts to wander or other bad things find their way into the marriage and eventually the marriage cracks. For Joseph, adultery was the only possible explanation for the situation. And so he would have been justified in leaving Mary. No one would fault him for that. But we discover that this ordinary Joe, well, he isn't so ordinary. He's, he's a man of character. He wasn't interested in shaming her. He wasn't interested in compounding Mary's problems by going public with the information. I mean, he, he could have publicly accused her of adultery, even demand that she be stoned to death. That would have been his right under the law of this time. Remember in John 8, there's a woman dragged before Jesus by the Pharisees and charged with what? Charged with adultery. They had the rocks in their hands ready to stone her to death. That's not what Joe wanted. No, he just wanted, I don't know, just to avoid any further scandal. He preferred, his preferred option was just divorce her quietly, but he decided to sleep on her. The situation required an angelic visitation to set things right. God comes to Joseph in a dream, and through an angelic visitation, God made his will clear. The angel tells Joseph, God is the one who impregnated Mary. God performed a, a supernatural insemination. I mean, after all, one sperm cell, not so hard for the creator of the whole universe. And God's plan is a go, whether Joseph signs on or not, because Mary was already pregnant. The train had left the station. Either Joseph got on board or Mary would be a single mom. Joseph took a big step into the unknown. He believed God was in charge and he was willing to follow God's path into that unknown future. Now, we understand Mary as a woman of great faith. I mean, a lot of people focus in on that, especially in the Roman Catholic Church. But we also need to recognize the tremendous faith of Joseph. We need to realize that God entrusted the raising of Jesus to a godly man. The main point that I want us to see this morning, that in facing this unknown future, Joseph surrendered his will to the will of God. He surrendered his dreams to God's greater purpose. He surrendered his happiness, his relationships, his family, friends, his future. Everything took second place to his relationship with God. And this is so contrary to the world's way of thinking. Now, our world says, put yourself first. Put yourself at the center of the universe. Even put yourself at the center of your faith. God's there to answer your prayers. Everything revolves around you and your needs and your idea of happiness. Whatever you want, that trumps everything else. We have to fight against the pressure to believe that a person's main responsibility is to themselves. Fight against the idea that a person's highest goal is their own happiness rather than the commitment to God's purposes, which are larger than self. To only be committed to yourself is to serve a very small very pathetic God. But to find your purpose in the Lord is to find your true self and what you were made for. You sync up the purpose and direction of your life with God's will and God's plan, and that affects the real decisions you make in life. That's what gives you the courage to boldly step into the unknown. Joseph faced one of life's most difficult questions. What does it mean to be a godly man? A godly Man. There has always been the sense that men have to prove that they're real men. Unfortunately, too often masculinity has become detached from the main roles God designed for men to play. David Blankenholm writes in his great book, Fatherless America, 
in a good society, men prove their masculinity not by killing other people, impregnating lots of women, or amassing huge fortunes, but rather by being committed fathers and husbands. In other words, when our definition of masculinity gets detached from these roles of husband and father, it often becomes violent, predatory, and irresponsible. In God's view, faithful marriage and responsible fatherhood help men to be real men. But the idea of being a good father is denigrated almost everywhere in our culture. You can't hardly find a positive depiction of a father on any TV show, any movie, or in any of our cultural heroes, or even in our music. Fathers are mocked and ridiculed, seen either as idiots or bumpkins or abusers. Instead of trying to promote a healthy, godly fathering, what gets celebrated is, is the guy who beds a lot of women and then walks away from the children that he has with many of them. And we see the negative effects of this every day in our culture. There's so much data that points to the reality that fatherlessness is the most harmful social trend in our country. Men who do not take responsibility for their children and who do not provide for their children emotionally, financially. But not just the physical absence, but the emotional absence of dads has devastating consequences on children whether it's the perpetual cycle of poverty or crime or drug, drug abuse or sexual abuse or depression. I mean, you pick the problem. The data can probably trace the root of it back to men not playing their proper role as loving fathers and faithful husbands. If it were classified as a disease, fatherlessness would be an epidemic worthy of our attention as a national emergency. But Joseph had a commitment to something greater than himself, his faith in God and his love for Mary. Once the decision was made to stay with Mary, his problems were not over. The pressure was still on, not only a radically altered dream for his life, for his family, for his friends, but also he faced sexual pressure. So interesting that scripture says Joseph kept Mary a virgin until after Jesus was born. They didn't consummate their marriage until after his birth. And people talk a lot about the Virgin Mary, but they don't say much about the virgin Joseph. Think about it. Joseph surrendered his normal, healthy, God-given sexual desire for his wife in order to accomplish God's higher purposes in Mary's life and in the child's life and in his life, and in fact, for the entire world, so that there would be no doubt about God being the progenitor of the child. Max Lucado writes, Joseph had to take cold showers for nine months so that baby could be born of a virgin. Even his sexuality was submitted to God's will for his life. And what a concept. He practiced sexual abstinence. There's also something almost unheard of in our day, the positive value of sexual abstinence, controlling your sexual desires. Honestly, Christians, we've lost the cultural battle over biblical sexuality. We have lost the idea of the sanctity of marriage and of a godly male-female relationships. Our culture has rapidly adopted a secular, even pagan understanding and practice of sexuality. And worse now, many Christians have just kind of fallen under the spell and get their beliefs about sexuality from the secular culture and not from God, not from Scripture, and then rationalize that somehow, I don't know, they're staying true to their faith. Personal sexual expression is probably our number one false god or the false idol that our culture worships the most. But Joseph surrendered his sexual desires to God's will. Following Joseph's example would be revolutionary. 
radical, countercultural in our day because he believed in something greater than his own self, greater than his own sexual expression, greater than his own impulses. He believed the angel who announced God's news contained in this unborn child. He will save his people from their sins. In his book, Angels, Billy Graham writes this. Here is the gospel in all its beauty, simplicity, and purity. There is someone who can forgive sins. This is Jesus the Christ. In the midst of the wonder of an incarnation, we should not overlook the fact that the angel was here bearing witness to the good news. Jesus was not coming simply as God. He was coming as Redeemer and Savior to make people right with his Father and then assure them of the gift of eternal life. And that's what our broken world needs the most and still needs, a Savior. Joseph knew this was not some ordinary child. And he faced the enormous pressure of being a good dad to the Son of God. Not only did he choose to be a father to the child who was not biologically his own, he chose to take on the incredible responsibility of raising God's own Messiah. Talk about stepping into the unknown. What kind of man would ever feel up to that task? It's hard enough being a father to a normal family. But to know that you must protect and defend and care for God's one and only Son, I mean, that boggles my mind. We all know the influence of a father on a son for good or ill. So think of the influence Joseph must have had on Jesus. All we really know of Jesus' childhood is summed up in, in one verse, Luke 2, 52, where it says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. That's it. Well, how did that happen? That was the father's role. That was Joseph's influence to be an example for Jesus. For Jesus, who learned to walk and talk like every other human child, who needed encouragement when trying something new, he needed comfort when he skinned a knee, a, a role model to follow. Jesus learned the scriptures just like every other Hebrew child from his father. He learned to respect women from Joseph. He learned to treat people with kindness from watching his earthly father. He learned true strength and true integrity from his dad. He learned honesty as he watched his father deal with customers. He learned perseverance from seeing how Joseph handled problems. And most of all, Jesus learned to call God, Abba, Daddy, from his relationship with his own earthly Abba, Daddy. Joseph was his model. What a tremendous tribute to Joseph's impact on Jesus' life. We don't know when Joseph died. Sometime before Jesus began his public ministry. He never got to see Jesus perform miracles or heal a blind man. Never heard Jesus preach a sermon. But I bet Joseph took great pride in his son. I bet he found great joy in watching this boy grow into a young man. I bet he cherished their long walks together through the Galilean hillside. The hours they spent building things in the carpenter's wood shop. The times they sat together by the fire in their home and talked long into the night. I can imagine that when Jesus stood at Joseph's grave, he thanked his heavenly father with tears of joy for this earthly father who raised him. Joseph faced a lot of uncertainty during that first Christmas. If you were to ask him later on, given the chance to reflect on all the sacrifices, all the worries, all the anxieties that he faced, was it worth it? Was it worth it to follow God's will? Did he regret surrendering his desires to God's will? For Joseph, one look in the 
in the face of the young man Jesus was becoming, and he knew he would do it all over again in a heartbeat. Folks, it is always hard to follow God's will rather than your own. Always a hard choice to walk in faith when everything seems uncertain. Everybody faces the unknown. We don't know what this next year will bring. We can't escape that. The pressures and circumstances we face will be different from the ones Joseph faced, no doubt about it, but our God is the same. And the temptation to compromise will be the same. Do you look at the unknown as an excuse for ignoring God and going your own way? Or will you use it as an opportunity to find out what you are really made of? Let's be like Joseph, a man of remarkable faith, especially those of us who are men. Let's be men who take commitment and integrity and self-discipline seriously. Let's put our faith into action and step boldly into an unknown future. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you for just a little bit that we know about Joseph. What a remarkable man that you chose to be the earthly father of the Messiah. Lord, would you just inspire us, particularly us men, as we face sometimes an unknown and uncertain future, that we can know that you will walk with us every step of the way, that you know what's coming, nothing will be a surprise to you, and that we can lean into you and lean on you and trust in the strength that you will provide especially in these next few weeks and into this coming year. Lord, may we step into the future with a sense of boldness, knowing that we don't do it alone. We thank you now in Christ's name. Amen.